The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I did something a couple of weeks ago that you probably should never do, is I asked my children a question and really wanted them to give me an honest answer. And the reason I asked this question is because we were going somewhere or we were meeting someone. I can't even remember exactly what happened, but it happens a lot. And the people that we were waiting on, well, we were waiting. They were late. And I'm pretty nice person most of the time. I am not all that nice or kind when people make me wait. And I ask my children, do I just have a weird thing about time? And they said, absolutely. Because they've lived with me their entire lives, and it's true, I do have very, not what I would call rigid standards around time, just human standards around time. Like if we say we're going to meet and you are late, like I actually get offended because now you are wasting my time. Like matter of fact, I think I've shared this before that a couple of Christmases ago, my wife Rochelle got me a little journal and the cover of the journal says, people who have wasted my time. (laughs) For me to just keep a list of people who have wasted my time. I will not tell you if your name is in it. There are no names in it. I wouldn't actually keep the journal, but that's my orientation around time. And the thing is, like, I am so particular, so sensitive about time uh, that it's a whole thing in our family. Like, one of the things why I walk premarital couples through when we're doing premarital counseling, just me and them, is like, you guys need to tell each other at what point you consider each other late. So if we say we're gonna leave at three o'clock, when I say I'm leaving someplace at three o'clock, I mean, we're leaving at three o'clock. But early on in our marriage, I asked Rochelle, at what time do you consider us late? Like if we say we're leaving at three, when are we late? And she said, like genuinely, honestly, like 3.20, 3.30. And, and that's fine, but at least now I know, which is why I have had this practice since I was in college. For my friends and relatives who are constantly late, that I lie to them about what time they need to be someplace. (laughs) Because I don't wanna wait. I have a thing about time. And I've noticed that I think about time much more than the average person thinks about time. And as I've gotten older, I find myself thinking about time even more. So next month, I will celebrate my 49th birthday, which means, well, I don't, there ain't a, no, 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 that ain't nothing to cheer about. Because if you haven't got there yet, you will. And there will be a day when you, it hits you that you have got more time behind you than you've got ahead of you. And so after my, as I approach this milestone, my youngest daughter, because I will not be 50 for another year, but for two years already has been saying, well, dad, you're basically 50. 
And 47 and 48 is not 50. But there's a clarity about that. Because you do begin to ask, how much time do I have? And when you ask that question, you're really asking, how much time do I have left? And so if you've been around the last several weeks, you know that we're in this series on remembering. And I said the very first week something that probably didn't make a whole lot of sense when I said it. And I said that Christians are the only people who can remember the future. Well, how do you remember the future? Well, we have inherited this story from the scriptures and the apostles that actually tells us how time, at least the way that we count time, how time ends. And when you're certain, when you have faith, when you have confidence about that story, then you have a certain degree of confidence about how time ends that you actually can remember. And when you know that, you can begin to live in a memory of the future. And so what I want to walk through, just in our time this morning, is the life of Moses and what Moses teaches us at the end of his life. And it absolutely changed my life when someone first said these words to me. And it's a piece of my life that I keep coming back to over and over and over again. And it has to do with time. Now, you all, if you've been around the Bible, if you've been around church, you know the story of Moses. Moses is maybe my favorite character in the scripture, so I keep coming back to him over and over and over again. And Moses was a Hebrew, but he was born at a time of infanticide. And so his mom put him in a basket and placed him in the reeds, and he was discovered by the Pharaoh's daughter, the very Pharaoh who had initiated infanticide. And so she adopts him, and Moses grows up in the house of the Pharaoh, actually being cared for by his mother who worked in the home of Pharaoh. And Moses has the best of everything, the best food, the best education, the best experiences, the best exposure in life. And even though The Prince of Egypt is a really great movie, this whole time, Moses knows that he's a Hebrew. But when he reaches a certain age, he starts to deal with his own identity, and he sees an Egyptian guard mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves. And just in a fit of rage, Moses kills the guard. And he thinks no one's going to find out, but they do. And so he flees into the desert. And he meets a woman by a well named Zipporah. They end up being married, and Moses goes to work for Zipporah's father, tending sheep. And for 40 years, Moses tends sheep. And that's it. Every morning, sheep. In the afternoon, sheep. At night, sheep. Every day, over and over again, for 40 years. For a kid who was raised in the Pharaoh's house, and had the best of everything. How many dreams 
must have died in that wilderness, tending sheep. It'd be very easy for Moses to think, 40 years I have done this. No need for a day planner or a calendaring app. No to-do list. What a waste of time. And then God plucks Moses out of obscurity. He says, return to Egypt and lead my people out, creating one of the greatest stories in scripture, the story of the Exodus. And then what does Moses do? He spends 40 years tending people in the desert. Mostly in the same desert. And when Moses reaches the end of his life, he has a lot to tell us about time and remembering time. And the thing that's most powerful that will change your life, if you can get your arms around it, is what Moses tells us is time is about how we perceive it. Now, right about now, you're wondering, what in the world does time have to do with remembering anything? Well, for us, and for millions of Christians across a thousand years, it has to do with everything we do. Time is the reason that we celebrate the Christian calendar, that at the beginning of the Christian year, Advent, that we stop and we focus on particular things. And it's the reason we walk through Lent and we join in the sufferings of Jesus. We do all of that, not just at a random time, but a particular time. That's why next week, next Sunday, is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday brings us back into those events in Acts 2 where the disciples and the apostles are preaching and teaching and there are flaming tongues and everyone hears the gospel for the first time in their own language, regardless of where they are from. And we are reminded in that moment, each Pentecost Sunday, that we are part of a multinational, multi-global, multi-ethnic, multi-racial movement. Remembering and time. Because time helps us keep our memory. Because we are a people who are prone to believe that our blessings, the lives that we live have been created by our own education and industry and productivity. And God reminds us that that is not true, so we keep Sabbath. The world goes on without us. We are given a time. We tend to think that all of the problems of the world, whether at home or my school, in the community, at church, in the nation, that all of those problems, those are somebody else's fault. But each week, at particular time, 
we gather to confess, we are reminded that we too are part of the problem. Spiritual life is built around time. Because all of these practices, practices like confession, those are habits that we wouldn't practice or we tend to forget unless we had a time to do them. So when I work with groups and I'm I'm teaching around the Enneagram, one of the places where I spend a lot of our energy is this reality that different people have different orientations to time based on your personality. Some folks have an orientation to time that's in the past. Some have an orientation to time that is in the present and others have an orientation to time that is the future. But what if healthy living, good living, invited us into a space where we held all of those orientations to time, all of those domains together in our minds, because one of our problems that we, is that we think time is fixed, that there are 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour and seven days in a week and 365 days in a year. And there is, there is an aspect of that that is true but your life would be exponentially better if you knew how to perceive those minutes and hours and days and weeks. And if you don't, if you don't perceive time rightly, we will get to a place in our lives where we don't remember what's most significant or that we won't do anything with our lives that is memorable. Now, here's what I'm saying. Remembering time creates a meaningful life. And so when Moses gets late in his life, after all that he's seen and experienced and done, he sits down to write and he could have written about anything. He doesn't write about how to get rich quick or have great relationships. He doesn't write his autobiography. Moses is the most renowned spiritual leader in Israeli history to this day, and late in his life, the thing that he writes to us and the world about is time. So in Psalm 90, he starts this way. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So right out of the gate, what Moses says is so key for us to remember is that the way we perceive time is not the right way to perceive time. Because we actually perceive time basically from week to week, month to month, year to year, and we look at that over a grand period of time, that is what's my time? And at best, we will have 70 or 80 years. 
But from Moses' perspective, what he wants us to know about time is time does not begin with the day you were born. Your time does not begin with the day you were born and in the day that you die. Your time begins from everlasting to everlasting. That it's a span that you can't even conceive. Life then is not about your 70 or 80 years. People who think their life is bookended by their own time, by their 70 or 80 years, well, they spend all of that time wondering about how they can have a comfortable retirement, what adventures they can go on. When they feel like they've hit the middle point in that, they actually have a midlife crisis. Moses says, Time is everlasting to everlasting. And you've stepped into a story. And that story continues even after you're gone. So then what gets your attention with your time? Is it just new cars and career choices and relationships? If time is everlasting, to everlasting. What gets your attention? And then what can you do in your life that would ever have a shot at everlasting? So the reason that I do what I do with my vocation is because when I was 18, I was headed off to college and I was gonna study history as an undergrad and then go off to law school. That was, had been my dream since I was a kid. And I was having a conversation on the way back from a mission trip with my youth pastor at the time. And I was asking him why he had chosen to become a youth pastor. And we talked for a while and he said, I basically wanted to do something with my life that would have eternal consequences. And I really like the sound of that. Now, what I didn't know then is that you don't have to become a pastor to do something with your life that has eternal consequences. But right now, in your life, what are you doing that has eternal consequences? that goes into that everlasting. Well, Moses goes on. He says, you turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. So Moses says, look, from dust you came and to dust you will return. You are going to die. And I don't know that in American culture, there's any other place besides the Christian church that routinely reminds people that they're going to die. And you're here for our Lenten service, our Ash Wednesday service, and we pronounce over everyone from dust you came and from dust you will return, that you are going to die. You are mortal. Because everywhere else in our world wants to convince you that you're actually not mortal 
That's because we deeply believe in this culture in the myth that we are all special because our moms told us that. And what you are is not necessarily special. What you are is unique. Unique means one of a kind. So something can't be a little unique or very unique or somewhat unique. It's one of a kind. There's nothing else. There's no one in the world that is like you. There's no one in the world that has the gifts that you have. You are unique. But our lives aren't that unique. See if you've heard this story before. A child is born, has parents, goes to school for a while. Then some of those kids entered in the workforce, others of them go and do more school. After they've done more school, those people join the first group of kids in the workforce. A good number of those people marry, and some have children, and buy houses, and they work, and they buy a different house, and they have a different car. And those children grow up, and those people decide that they want to move to Florida and play golf, and they retire, and then they die. That story is in process in 300 million lives right now in this country. That's not unique. And that does not mean that there isn't something brilliant and beautiful about you. The Bible word for that is common. So when you flip open your Bible, you will see all throughout, God is called holy. And the more holy that they want you to believe that God is, the more holies they throw on top of God's name. You go from holy to holy, holy, holy. And we tend to think that the opposite of holy is unholy. But the opposite of holy is not unholy. The opposite of holy is common. And yet, throughout the scriptures, we get these stories in this language of this holy God calling common people to do extraordinary things. Because without that, without that truth, we are so prone to bragging and puffing ourselves up because we think that there's something that we can do to live forever. And I remember when uh, my first trade book, the boxes came in the mail and opened it up and we're flipping through and I obviously read it. I mean, I wrote it. So there's nothing new except one thing, is that on the second page, right after the title page, they have the author's name, and then what's called an ISBN number, and then how it's logged and registered in the Library of Congress. And when you see that, you think, oh, 
there is something of me that will live forever. And then your children tell you, until the country falls apart, like we all know it will. (laughs) That we are mortal. And that's good news. Moses goes on, verse 4. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past or like a watch in the night. So a thousand years for God is like a watch in the night, which is about three or four hours. If a thousand years is like three or four hours to God, what is your 70 or 80 years? Like in the grand scheme, from God's perspective, how long is your life? And then verse five, he says, you sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. Like that. That's how quickly our lives go. And that is not Moses saying that your life is insignificant. What Moses is saying is that if your life goes that fast, it is futile to think that you can do something significant or memorable outside of God. You just don't have enough time. Your life, no matter how long it is, and there are times in your life where it will feel very long. But you don't have enough time. You don't have enough time to do something significant on your own. It withers too fast. And you know this already because you have spent time doing something only to look back later and see how fast it withers. You've bought a new car and you were so excited when you got it. And a few years later, that car was a piece of trash. You put all of that time into remodeling that bathroom. And a few years later, it's out of date. You spent all of that time dating that guy. And he turned out to not be worth it. So many good things. You spent all of that time getting those degrees. And when you die, those degrees die with you. One day, your time will run out. And you won't be left with any of the things that you spent all of that time getting and believing that once you got them, they would fulfill you. This is why Jesus says explicitly 
in the New Testament. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It's a waste of time. And you don't have that much. Moses goes on in verse 10. He says, the days of our life are 70 years or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Even then their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So there goes your escape hatch that tells you that you can be pretty enough or fit enough or wealthy enough, that you can have enough friends, that you can have enough possessions, that all of it's going to amount to something. Because all of us have a picture in our minds of the good life, of what we think life is really about. And we probably also have a picture of the people that we've known through history, through our own personal history, who we feel like have the good life. And if we could only be like them, if we could only have what they have, if we could have the kind of relationship they have, or the kind of money that they have, or the kind of children, or if we had the kind of parents that they had, it doesn't matter. Guess what? The best life that you can imagine is full of toil and trouble. And you know who knows that better than anyone? People who are living the best life they ever imagined. People who have made all the money and gotten all the fame and met all of their goals. All the things that you think that you want, they have them. And they find out they're not significant. So how are you going to find significance? If it's, if, if it's not in all the ephemera that the American dream has told us that we should chase, where is it? How do we get it? How do we live into it? Well, Moses goes on and he says this, who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. And I trust that you all are all very smart. And in Psalm 90, this is the most confusing verse in the entire Psalm. But here's what I think Moses is saying. That God, if we could see God as God truly is, we would have no hesitation in offering to God our 70 or 80 years. If we knew God's power and God's glory. And maybe this is a moment for Moses when he remembers his first introduction to God at that burning bush. And Moses is asking like, hey, could you show me who you are? And God tells him, if you saw who I really was, you wouldn't be able to handle it. You couldn't take it. Just seeing how I really am would kill you. But I can show you this, my backside. Just that much is all that a mortal can handle of seeing God. 
But if we could, if we could see God as God really is, we would have no hesitation in giving everything to God in our 70 or 80 years. And then finally, Moses says this. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. The translation that I grew up with said the same thing that the song we sang a little while ago said. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And you know why you should number your days? Because your days are numbered. And this is something we're already good at. We number our days all the time. Find a kid right now and ask them, how many days until school's out? Or a pregnant woman and ask her, how many days until you give birth? Or a new mom, how many days has it been since you slept? We're really good at numbering our days to taking time seriously when we remember to. And the reason? So that we may gain a wise heart. And we talk about this all the time. Most of our decisions our daily, weekly, monthly decisions, most of them aren't about whether something is sinful or not, right or wrong, good or bad. That's not the content of most of our decisions. Most of our decisions are whether something is wise or unwise. That's why you don't get very much when you come to a friend and you say, is it wrong if I, is it wrong, is it bad if I, it may not be. It may not be wrong, it may not be bad. But it could be unwise. Moses is saying that in the final analysis, that your life is going to be better if you understand that your days are numbered. So what do you want to do with those days? That if you can't do anything memorable or significant on your own, what do you want to do with those days? Are those days just going to be out, going to be about hanging out with friends or watching Netflix or making money? What are you going to do with those days? Because you don't have to become a pastor for your life to have eternal consequences.
and it's not missed on me, that when Jesus walked the earth, that he too was concerned about time. And in the Gospel of John, over and over again, people would ask, when's this going to happen? When that's going to happen, Jesus? And he would say, it's not my time. The time has not yet come. But when it is your time, we have to use our time. to do something that will be everlasting. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.